0: Hey, it's Conrad Thompson from SaveWithConrad.com. Heads up homeowners, all of a sudden your house is worth more than ever these last few years. But what are we going to do with that newfound equity? No, I'm not suggesting you sell your house or go buy something else. But didn't we all make this decision when we bought a house where we said, hey, someday we'd like to, and one day it would be nice if, maybe it's the dream kitchen, maybe it's an in-ground pool, maybe it's a man cave, but you've got this newfound equity. And I think we should use some of that equity to turn your house into your dream home with no money out of pocket. But even better than that, we're routinely helping folks do this and they wind up with a cheaper monthly payment. So if you got the dream house you always wanted with no money out of pocket and your payments went down, how easy is that? Find out how easy it is to turn your house into your dream home with no money out of pocket right now at SaveWithConrad.com. We can't wait to hear about your projects Tell us what your dream is. We're going to help you make it happen at SaveWithConrad.com. And MLS number six five zero eight
1: four Equal Housing Lender. Woo! In your house. In your house.
2: In your house. In
0: your house. So we're about to get this uh, three-way kicked off here, and of course. Um, people most interested in this besides the competitors are Austin who wants the belt, uh, more than, uh, anyone else in the company and McMahon who wants the belt off of Austin more than anyone else in the company. So, uh, the undertone of this match, as has been the case since January is Steve Austin versus Mr. McMahon,
3: great storytelling and long-term storytelling. And and let's face it, it can only be, it can only be long-term storytelling. If it's great, (laughs) nobody's going to stick with a bad story long-term, but this was a great
0: one. So Austin and McMahon are sort of taking over the show on commentary, going back and forth and everybody's waiting with bated breath on the undertaker and Austin has his eyes locked on McMahon, but there's no undertaker.
3: Hmm. The audience is wondering, where is he? What's going to happen next? What's gone wrong? Is somebody somehow sabotaged the Undertaker? Is somebody had done something backstage to prevent this match from happening? Who's behind it? Is it Steve Austin?
0: So the ring is is bathed in, in the Undertaker or Kane's red light now. And McMahon is going to announce to the crowd that since the Undertaker is too chicken shit to appear... He's going to change the match to a no holds barred false count anywhere match between can Kane and mankind. Interesting. Interesting development. And the winner is going to be your number one contender.
3: Little bit like from a psychology perspective, and I'm not suggesting that they, you know, nobody was copying anybody here, but from a psychology perspective, not unlike what we did with Scott Hall. Um, and Goldberg throwing him in there and Hogan saying, if you can get through him, you can get to me a little bit of a swerve toss into this thing to help set up what will ultimately be a great finish.
0: I'm sure. I think you're going to be, uh, happy with this match. What do you think about the uh, red lighting effect for Kane here? Uh, I don't like it. Just,
3: just don't like it, you know. My first question is why? Why does that? Why, why does he get something that, that, if all things are equal, and this is a, a, a competition between these guys, why? Why does that happen? You know, if 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 you if you're supposed to believe it happened because of some supernatural effect, uh, okay. I, I'll, I'll, guess that works for some people. If if that's not your belief then why does he get a special kind of intro that mcfoley or cactus jack doesn't get or mankind i get so confused but why sometimes just asking the question why and being able to answer it can make a story so much better
0: So mankind here is going to take a seat here and he's going to say, I've given enough and I'm not going to give you any more. I'm not going to fight my friend Kane and Vince is going to call for the bell. Anyway, there it is. Who gives a shit? Do it, do what I said. Damn it. I'm the boss. Do it. See how Kane responds i like that you're into this you know i kind of expected you to just be dismissive of this whole thing but you're kind of into this main event angle
3: well depending on how it turns out i'm into it because i think it's been set up really well the stakes are there it's a long-term story obviously at the center of it even though your 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 participants in the ring are the focus at the at this point your b story right here uh is still steve austin vince mcmahon which has been the long-term arc that's been you know that's led up to this so for me from a creative kind of making sure the pieces all fit together and everything works well together this is you know this is about as good as it gets from a storytelling point of view
0: let's see what's happening here kane's coming out he's picking up a chair
3: this is ugly
0: I bet you hate the lighting here, don't you?
3: Well, because you can't see shit. But here's what I like. So far, this is all. How long have we gone here? Six minutes? Oh, my God. Nice shot. Great camera work. Looks like he just killed um, mankind. But I'm sure he didn't touch him. But it looked like he killed him.
0: Uh, uh i think everybody Schultz. assumed i mean the plan was that the visual is oh he's gonna hit austin with the chair but he turns around and hits his best friend mankind
3: right there in the you face. You're, you're following this story closer than i am but yeah excellent and what i was about to say is you know story anticipation reality surprise and action those are the five elements that i just firmly believe in so far this this story this this match has all of the above with the emphasis on his anticipation right now, the audience watching, including me is like, what the hell is going to happen next? You can't predict it. You don't know everything about everything that we've seen so far since this match was announced has been a surprise.
0: Kane's going for the the cover here. See what happens. He's got him pinned and mankind has lost the lights come up and it looks like Kane is now the number one contender. He's won the match. Oh my! Whoa! God. It was the Undertaker.
3: See, I love this kind of stuff.
0: And off the air we go.
3: That is awesome. What? what?
0: what did, oh, that was awesome. <laughs> I like that you love it, man.
3: No, I, I, I'm not. You know, I'm not being patronizing because of you know the obvious situation, but break it down from a storytelling point of view. I, I read through it quickly. D- did this angle have story? Did this match have a story built into it? Absolutely it did. We were seven months into this story or six months into the story now between Austin and Mr. McMahon. This match served to advance that story, which served to get Austin over. It's perfect. So it had great story. This whole thing was about anticipation. What happened to The Undertaker? Where did he go? Vince McMahon, if I could do it anyway, you know? this whole thing was anticipation and then a huge, and it was great action. Didn't need a whole lot of action because the story and the anticipation was so strong, but the surprise at the end was outstanding. And the reality that this whole thing needed was this, the the reality that existed in the story between McMahon and Austin. It just, it hit all five of the elements in such a unique and creative way that I thought it was fantastic.
0: Of course, we know when it all comes down, uh, you guys win the ratings night. You trump Raw. Nitro got a 4.93 that night. Raw got a 4.0. Uh, what we just saw with The Undertaker taking off Kane's mask to reveal that he, in fact, was the number one contender against Steve Austin. We know they're on a collision course now for SummerSlam. It was head to head with Hulk Hogan and Goldberg. And Hulk Hogan and Goldberg is the first quarter hour in the history of pro wrestling on cable to reach 5 million homes. It drew 5,054,000 homes. Meltzer would call that in excess of 7 million total viewers. It got a 6.9 rating for that match in particular, an 11.8 share, and it broke the all time record. So it's a banner night for WCW. But not a terrible finish on the other side. I mean, especially based on your reaction, you really dug the finish of this one. No, and actually this,
3: this, what we just watched was really building for the future. So yeah, they might've lost by technically by, you know, less than a point, you know, and when you're head to head and you're competing and you want bragging rights and the, the buzz you're trying to create, you know, within the peripheral wrestling community, uh, you know, you're focusing on that. Sure. A win is a win is a win. And you're going to be proud of that win. But this, and I'm not saying that WCW didn't, because clearly Goldberg was on fire, and we were building for the future, or attempting to with him too. But you can't undervalue, you know, the the long-term success that this particular story has played out here, whether it won or lost. Had it was it was really well done.
4: So JR, we move into 1992 and. Uh, Cactus and Sting would have an absolute show stealer of a match at Beach Blast 92. It's Falls Count Anywhere, and this is a show that you're going to cover here in future in the next couple of weeks in detail. So I don't want to steal too much thunder for that. But is Cactus up there for you as one of Sting's top opponents?
5: Oh, yeah, yeah. And they they had respect for each other, which you got to have, I think, you don't have to like somebody to have a great wrestling program with them. You don't need to exchange those Christmas cards or those holiday cards or anything along those lines. Things that are normal, but you got to respect your your adversary because he's got your life in his hands. You damn sure better respect it. Uh, this is not leapfrog, drop down, headlock. You know this is gets to be some serious stuff uh, that's hard to execute. So uh, I would say that I mean Mick had a lot of great, especially in WWF WWE. Oh, yeah. Yes, a tremendous opponents. uh, But certainly looking at the wide scope of things, uh, Sting's rivalry, if you will, with Mick was extraordinary, just really, really good. They liked each other, Paul. You don't have to, as I said, but you got to respect each other. And they damn sure respected each other. And Sting was willing, a willing participant to go along with some of the things that Mick was doing even though most of the hurt was on mixed side.
4: So I got to ask Jr. Was it prior to this during this feud or sometime in the future, maybe into the WWFWE days that you realize this guy is world champion material.
5: I don't know where it was along the way. I don't know the date or, or things like that being facetious here somewhat, but it is in that era that he started really turning heads. Having really solid matches with various opponents. I mean, you go from Abdullah to Sting, and you pull it off somehow. They're not; they don't have; they have nothing in common. So you got to be flexible, uh, and you got to be, uh, you know, uh, a, a, you know, somebody's got skills. And we saw over and over again that Mick had great skills because he's working with guys that had hugely different uh, uh, styles. So, but along the way, uh, Mick always had the ability to cut a great promo. I think he got better at it as time went on. At least that's all of our our dreams is that we want to get better at what we do. If you're in the broadcasting or any kind of performance art, you want to get better at it. That's right. And I think Mick got better at it as he went along, and he could probably still get rolled out there right now and cut as good a promo as anybody in the business.
4: Now you uh you, you hit it nail on the head there. Jake Roberts joins the fold, which we discussed last week a little about him. But he and Cactus would form an alliance around this period, and and to your point, this is also the period where we start to see him really shine with those promos. And uh, it sounds like you were enjoying his style of promos. I mean, for a character, he was able to get into character. What did you what were you thinking as he was delivering? Because we're gonna watch a clip here in a minute of you on the mic with uh with Cactus Jack. It's fun. But well,
5: th- I, I think that the Paul, excuse me. I think the thing about it is that uh, uh, Mick was a great storyteller bell to bell. I think we've established that. I think most fans will agree with that. Was his style at times uh, extreme? Yes. But nonetheless, uh, he was always a great storyteller in the ring. The great stars are able to take that skill set, that level of a skill set, transfer it from the physical bell to bell to a promo scenario. And uh, Mick, it, so some guys game a lower one or the other, mixed aid level, both really, really good. Uh, and, but his promo abilities was just, I, I don't remember him doing bad promos, I really don't,
0: Tony. With that in mind, I think we've done enough filibustering today. I think we probably ought to go ahead and talk about the uh, the issue at hand. It's World Championship Wrestling season two, episode 33 on the cock.
6: Get the cock uh, out. I've got one more thing to bring up before we go to the cock.
0: Oh yeah, I love it.
6: And I and I, I really think in my mind this is kind of huge, and it's going to be huge for our Patreon, and ad free show fans. Okay. Okay. Uh, I was this weekend at Astronomicon, oh, in Ann Arbor, uh, promoting the uh, comic book Butts and Seats, and I was there signing autographs, meeting fans, tremendous time. It's run by some great people hats off to George and Mike and Mark who work with us and to twisted the hip hop group, uh, that runs the place. Um, so the name of my book is butts and seats. That's right. right. Yep. Who else was there signing autographs, but Mick Foley, come on. Yeah, baby. So there's a video that's going to appear on Patreon. On ad-free shows this week of Tony Schiavone sitting down with Mick Foley talking about the butts and in seats incident. How about that? Exclusive. I love it. Yeah. First time ever. We've sat down and talked about it. Had a great, had a couple of great conversations and, uh, he's, uh, he's a wonder- he's a wonderful guy. Wonderful guy. Sit right there and talk to all the fans and just was, Great right, guy. So there you go. That's coming up. And I think it's going to be pretty cool.
0: We got to get him to do some more stuff with us on Patreon. I think he'd have fun.
6: I do too. I do too. Th- there's one discrepancy though. Oh, uh-oh. <laughs> uh, this discrepancy is that when, and I didn't, I didn't bring this up or I didn't, I didn't argue with him, obviously about it. When that all went down, he claims that he called me and I returned the call. Um, that's not the way I remember it. I called him. He wasn't in. And then I called back, but I mean, we both do know that we talked. The very al- he has
0: always maintained that he called you. Right. Well, I, that, that I you called him and left a voicemail. Okay. And, and that he called you back.
6: Okay. Yeah. Well, I actually, I called, I think I talked to his wife. I, I don't know, but I know. And, and you
0: said, I feel terrible about this for all right. that. Right. And then he called you back.
6: Right. So anyway, that's, uh, that's, that's going to be pretty cool. And that's going to be uh, posted this week. So if you're a member of our uh, channels, you'll get to see it as we sat down at, uh, at Astronomicon and and signed autographs.
0: But you had fun at Astronomicon, right? Yeah,
6: yeah, I did. It's, it's, uh, and this is kind of a unique, it's, you know, it's it's pop culture. All these Comic Cons are pop culture. I get that. But mostly at Astronomicon, it's horror fans and wrestling fans. That's kind figure of that one. Yeah, figure that one out. So
0: Well, Twisted is like a horror core, right? Like their yeah. they're, they're rap is like horror. So
6: right. They're I'm gonna skin your asshole alive and all that shit. Right. They're probably uh uh I, I, I don't, I shouldn't say they're like the insane clown posse. No, I mean, they're, they
0: pay- they're, they're on psychopathic records. That's insane clown posse's record
6: label. Okay. Okay. Very, they paint their faces white. They were, I, I got a couple of these big Astronomicon uh, twisted like jerseys with my name on the back. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Um, good man. Great guys. Wow. Came around and, and they came around with their entourage and said hello to everybody who was signing autographs personally. Uh, took pictures with them and wanted to know how things were going. Just great guys.
4: If you were to have some young wrestlers in today's business, we have talked about plenty of them here. You're a fan of Will Hobbs. You're a fan of a lot of the, the, the young talent in the business. What would you say? Hey, watch some, some, some Rick rude stuff. What would you say are some characteristics if you were telling them, Hey, this is what you want to watch Rick Rude and learn from him.
7: Just the way he carried himself. You believed everything he was saying. And we, are, you know, we talk about connecting with the audience in a negative way or a positive way, whichever it is. You can usually tell a guy that believes his own press versus a guy that's legitimate. And he just tells you exactly the way it's going to go down. And it's not painted with a lot of bright colors. It's just, hey, here's the deal, if you don't shut your mouth, you're going to be picking your teeth out of your shit in the morning. Well, somebody says that to you, and you go, okay, that's got a different feel to it.
4: Yeah. Yeah, it's got a violent feel to it. A feeling of realism, which we love as wrestling fans. But uh, one of the things that also you noticed is Sting was talking about potential competitors for the world title. Rick Rude's not the only one in Sting's sights because during this time, Arn, we also see the reemergence of two men that opposed Sting during the summer. First, you have Cactus Jack. And the last time we talked about Cactus, he accidentally deep fried Abdullah the Butcher at the end of the Chamber of Horrors <laughs> match. You remember that, don't you? Terrible. And uh, so you got Luger gone. So Cactus, he's gradually going to rejoin the main event picture after working several months down the card. Uh, The man behind Cactus Jack, Mick Foley, one of our ad-free show buddies, speaks very highly of his time in WCW and the program that he would have with Sting here. He was also heavily influenced and encouraged by one of your mentors, we talked about him last week, the American Dream Dusty Rhodes. Dusty was taken with the way Cactus delivered his promos and the way he successfully came across as a sinister and dangerous individual. But Arna, as a top tier promo man yourself, how successful was Cactus in conveying his message and coming across as the monster that Dusty wanted him to be?
7: Well, he. <clears throat> I'm not sure monster was the right word. He would. He came across to me as just unhinged, Mm. deranged, you know, you know, not, he wasn't a guy that was just going to come and like, you know, Friday the 13th, just kill everything in sight. But it's like you couldn't kill him either. And that was the advantage. I saw that guy take bumps. If you've ever just fell off the apron flat back from there to the floor and there's no padding concrete, it would kill most people. It really would. It would jar your, your organs like you would not believe if you've ever felt like that. And Jack would, he would take bumps like that, he would take hip tosses off the apron onto the floor. Just total disregard for his body, and that was his advantage. If you can't hurt him, you can't beat him, uh, because eventually he's going to hurt you. And that's, that's what he brought to the table.
4: Aren't it blows my mind to this day that he still walks around. I mean my my dad, right, 70 years old, he's never taken a flat back bump, like a like a McFolier, been flung through a hell in the cell, but he's got major problems with the sciatic nerve. You have issues with your sciatica, right? Your sciatic nerve. How does he how does he not have major debilitating pains? I know he's had surgeries and things, but it's just unbelievable. Um, and his mental capacity, his, his, his recall with his podcast, it's just incredible what he's still able to do, I think, with the years and the wear and tear of what he's done to his body, man.
7: Well, you say, how does he not, is he not hurt and injured? He is. Yeah. You don't yeah. see it. He doesn't let you see it. But if you've ever been at a signing, catch him when he first comes into sight and watch him walk across the room, watch him sit down look over there two hours later and watch him get up and down in a chair. You know, I don't think he would be offended if I let the cat out of the bag. He is crippled up. Hmm. He just enjoys so much, you know, still being around the business and showing up that, that he just toughs it out to be able to attend these events. But bro, make make no mistake, I would, ha- I would hate to be in the room when he wakes up every morning because I know – it's ugly at my house, and it can only be way worse than that. Mm. Kudos to the guy for what he's given up for the business. He has pretty much volunteered his well being and health for the entertainment of wrestling fans. And you got to appreciate that and you got to respect it. And you just got to just say, God bless you, Mick. Thank you.
4: Mm. We're about to have some fun here. Business is about to pick up, as they say, because Mick Foley. He returns, uh, he's on Raw, it's uh, Madison Square Garden, late June, and uh, he's used really here to heat up Orton. And Orton attacks Foley, throws him down a flight of stairs. Where does this idea come from to use Foley to get Orton to the next level? You
8: know, part of it was Mick's desire to work with Orton, and Mick always would kind of sit back and look at different guys that he felt he could really help get over and that he felt he would have good chemistry with and Mick looking at it would look at Randy and say, I could do some fun things with Randy and be able to, uh, have a long-term story and give it a little more meat on the bone, if you will. So, you know, anytime that, that Mick would do that, he did it with Randy, did it with edge is, uh, it's a, chance to be under that learning tree as well and to do something different that that's a different style and just a different, uh, art form. I'm sure Randy had to be excited with an opportunity to work with Mick.
4: I think so. Yeah. I think that, you know, it's a great opportunity for him. And he gets a, a really nice rub here in July. It's a six man elimination match between evolution, all the Dudleys, Wharton pins and eliminates every single Dudley. Is this a sign that not only the office is going to give him a program uh, with Foley, but here he's being the whole team himself, that everyone is all in on Randy Orton at this point.
8: We were. We were in on the youth, and we were in on the, you know, just the future. And there comes a point sometimes where you look at everything and you just say, man, what's new? What, what do I have that's new that we can – put out there and Randy was new and Randy was fresh. So any opportunity to do that and any opportunity to have a nice brand new young talent at the top is a good thing. Well, the
4: good news is, is it must've worked because it got us to where we needed to be. So you're in long Island Orton defeats Rob Van Dam after sending a limo to McFoley's house to pick him up. And that's not how Foley likes to travel and bring him to the arena. Foley doesn't show. Is there a fear with the creative that the crowd rejects Foley and starts to cheer
8: Orton at all during this whole thing? Uh, you know, a little bit, but at the same time, I think that Randy was a dastardly enough heel to be able to pull it off. And Mick was a beloved enough figure to pull it off. So you had both of those working for you. You always run that risk of the audience kind of going, yeah, you know what? Screw that guy. He walked out. Fuck him.
4: Well, it's the Royal Rumble. It's in the Northeast in Philadelphia.
8: In Philadelphia, of course. Yeah. (laughs) They knew WWE.
4: Okay. And the horsemen. And Orton begins at number two with Benoit being number one. I love messing with you, Bruce. Orton eliminates five men before Mick Foley returns to a gigantic pop and ends up taking himself and Orton out with the cactus clothesline.
8: Was this angle that proved to you that Oregon could be the guy? Big. Uh, definitely one of the guys, without a doubt. And it was it just played out perfectly because you know Randy had so much arrogant heat oh, yeah. and continually, to call, continually calling out someone who doesn't come who's a beloved figure that the audience just wants so badly, please come home, Mick. And he ever does. And it's, I thought it was played out beautifully.
4: And the crazy thing, Bruce, he's 23 years old here. I mean, my goodness, I, he's got to be ready. Is he ready? Emotionally mature? No. no?
8: Okay. No, I don't think so. I, I think that, you know, regardless, and, and we talk about maturity levels. Um, Randy was, much more mature than most 23 year olds. However, uh, in the business, he was still very young. You know, you, you look at, man, my kids are 23 and still going to college and, and working and doing all those things. But yet there's, there was a maturity level at that age that you just don't have because you haven't experienced a whole lot. And every, every experience, is a new one daily when you're 23 in a lot of respects. Yeah, I guess you really don't stop to think about 23 years old, so
4: much being put on his shoulders as far as just having to grow up. I I didn't even know what I wanted at 23 years old, let alone the pressure of, hey, we're going to throw a lot at you. You're going to be in front of a lot of people. You're going to be traveling a lot. Uh, We're going to expect a lot out of you. That's a lot going on. You didn't on.
8: want to be doing a podcast with me when Conrad is, like, out at uh, out on one of his yachts in the Gulf of Mexico? Well, when I was 23. He's got the Gulf yacht. He's got the Atlantic yacht. He's got the Pacific yacht. He's even got one in Nova Scotia. <laughs> the Con Yavison. The... <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's
4: money. That should be a T-shirt. Oh, I love it. That's good. No, 23 years old. Are you kidding me? If you told me I was going to do a show with Bruce Pritchard, let alone podcast, that wasn't even a thing back then. My goodness. But, uh, you know, it's just it's just something to think about as a 23-year-old and where he's at in his career, the push, working with Mick Foley, RKO, and, you know, the fabulous Moolah. Uh, it's just a wild, wild ride for Randy Orton here at this point. And uh, the evolution, all this stuff. Uh, so there's a lot going on, lot, to, a lot of expectations that the, you know, the son of, of a legend, cowboy Bob Orton. Uh, so there's a lot going on here for Randy, and uh, you know, uh, I'm sure he wasn't making all the right decisions. We know, we, you know, but at the same time, he's showing that he's going to be uh, a blue, the blue chipper that he's turned out to be. So let's uh, let's talk about the build for WrestleMania 20 because it's in high gear here in Atlanta. It's March 1st. The Rock returns on Raw to help Foley from an attack by Evolution. Talk about The Rock. Did he ever me- make mention of Randy, his thoughts of Randy when he saw or interacted with him?
8: I think The Rock was really happy to be working with a guy like Randy because, again, it was youth. And in, in that, Rock was able to see where he was, you know, at that age. And I don't think rock had, it debuted at that point and rock could look at Randy and go, man, you know what? I've been there. I'm a third generation. So you had two third generation guys in there in the rock and Randy Orton. So in Orton, I think the rock saw himself and the pressure and understood the pressure that, that was put on him going, you got to live up to not only your father, you got to live up to your grandfather and can you do it and rock was willing to help him along the way i know that uh speaking of the rock i
4: know that your your brother dr tom got to do some training and uh, with the rock and got his hands on on the rock a little bit did he also do some training with randy orton and and work with him at all
8: yeah tom oh. worked with, with randy absolutely and uh you know not his one-on-one as much as he did with guys like rock and kurt angle but Yes, uh Tom was able to do that. Smoky Mountain not Smoky Mountain in Ohio Valley and Yes.
0: Man, oh man, do I love talking about this? We're getting a little older, and man, those next days after we hung out and maybe partied the night before. A little tough, right? I'm 42 years old, I can tell a difference. That was until I found Z Biotics. Let me explain. I used to enjoy a cocktail during the week, but I found that I was not productive at all the next day. Felt like butt. Well, the way around that is to get ahead of it with ZBiotics. Let me explain. ZBiotics is a pre alcohol probiotic that's the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle those rough mornings after drinking. And here's how it works when you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. And it's that byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your next day, right? We've all felt rough the next day and we thought, well, I'll just drink water, I'll feel better. No. That's not it. You see Zebiotics produces an enzyme to break down that toxic byproduct. It breaks it down. You see it's designed to work like a liver but in your gut where you need it most. Drink Zebiotics before drinking, drink responsibly and enjoy the night with confidence. And I have to admit I was skeptical when I first heard about this. And then I tried it with Eric Bischoff before I knew we were going to be uh, <clears throat> enjoying ourselves. And buddy, I felt fine the next day. We were productive. We were up and at them early. We were making sales. We were closing those deals. I think Zebiotics for that. I'm telling you, it makes a difference every time I use it. I've never turned someone on to it where they didn't notice the difference. I think you will too. And let me mention this: Labor Day is right around the corner. Stock up on this. Share it with your family and friends. They're gonna thank you for it. Especially if you're really hanging out on a Monday. You know what I'm talking about. Well now we gotta to go to work on Tuesday. Dude. Go be a hero on Tuesday and have fun like you want to on Monday. Savor the moment. Let Zbiotics do the rest. Go to zbiotics.com/foley and get 15% off your first order when you use Foley at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with a 100% money back guarantee, so if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, head to zbiotics.com/foley and use the code Foley at checkout for 15% off. And we thank you, biotics for sponsoring today's episode.
4: Well, Jim Cornette, he announces that you're fined $25,000 for your comments. And when you press him on who ordered the fine, Cornette doesn't say Jeff, but alludes to it. Does this make it weird that your opponent is fining you? I mean, how does that make you feel exactly?
9: <laughs> yeah, doesn't make sense. <laughs> you know, my opponent, angle your fine 25 grand And by the way, if you beat me, you're fined another hundred grand. <laughs> Oh man. And by the way, I'm the one who said I would send you back to
4: WWE. How do you like that? <laughs> uh, listen, there's a promo battle between you and McFoley, and Mick is putting you over big time. So just like you put him over on this podcast, he's putting you over back then. And you were just saying how much fun it was to work with him, but uh, here you are. You're both in TNA. Talk to us uh, about your interaction behind the scenes with Mick at this point. Are you guys just having a blast being together? Yeah. TNA? You
9: know, Mick was so entertaining. You know, he was really funny on the microphone. He didn't work as much. He didn't wrestle in the ring quite as much. Um, he did every once in a while, but he was a huge asset to the company. And, having someone like him involved in the company was a big deal. It's validity.
4: It adds validity to your That's product. Nice. Having someone like a Mick Foley uh, at bound for glory. Kurt, here we are. Clip two uh, upon us. We have three total clips this week. You take on good old double J, Jeff Jarrett and Mick Foley's at ringside and we have the ending to this match. Let's take a look.
2: The crowd though, sensing that something special is going on here. That's Jeff Jarrett. I mean, he's just, he's, he's, he's He's not just fighting for this win, he's fighting for this company. Fighting for the decisions that he's made. He's not gonna have somebody dictate what he's gonna do. Oh no, McCur- here we go. German's suplex. Shoulders down, two, no. Shoulder by Jared at three, but you'll notice that Angle still hangs on. Is he gonna try and go back to well another time? Exactly, German a second time. No pin attempt, however. He's gonna bring Jared up to the base and team overhead a third time. A third German. Here it is, here's the cover. Again on instinct, Jeff Jarrett able to get those shoulders up in time at Kern angle. Three German suplexes, and you can see him limping as he took a bad ball, now you know what he wants to do, he's got the straps off. Still feeling the effects of the face for leg locks, angle slam attempt is instead countered by Jarrett, reverse put him with that arm drag, doubled him over with the boot. Jared going to try a pile driver here, but you see the reverse. Oh, Jared rolls through. Oh no! He's Ankle's got in the it. right place for the ankle lock. Look how he just turns that ankle where he wants it to go. And You can see Jared, and you see him shaking his head. Is he going to tap out? Is Carnage going to get it right here? And he's got his face, and he's holding on. And look at the pain in Jeff's face. We have now seen the submission moves, the patented moves yeah. of both men on display. Uh. move here for Kurt Abel. He just barely touched the ropes, but he couldn't grab more. Crawling over, it's almost like Kurt's teasing him. He's so close to his. He drags him back again, and that gets him mentally. The closer that Jarrett gets, the more that Abel not only applies the pressure of the ankle block, but at the same time, drags him right back out to the middle of the ring to apply even more pressure, pain, and punishment. Look at Kurt, just every oomph. He just puts that shoulder down, and Going twist and twist Jeff look at this trying to do whatever he can and he rolls over and that's the only way you can do it is he's able to somehow get the somersault to break it it's an effective move but how damaged is the leg of the king of Mountain, Jeff Jarrett angle slam attempt oh dropped him down this could be it one two oh my god you gotta be kidding me that was so freaking close Angle buries his head in his hands. He thinks, What else can I do? I weakened him with the ankle lock, I hit him with my ankle slam." but instead, Jarrett able to avoid three. Both these guys in so much pain. As you see, Jeff Jarrett he's just laying there. This is the chance. Kurt gonna go for that moonsault, gonna go to end it. He's got Jeff Jarrett prone on the mat. Kurt though, his ankle he's hurting, wobbly he is of the figure four. And there he goes, just in time, just went the right direction. He came back towards Kurt Angle, and Kurt then look at him miss, and he bows up. If you think about it, it was the figure four that really was the key to Angle missing that moonsault off the top. As he made his way up to that top rope, you could just sense how his knee, his leg was wobbling. It was, Mike, it was. As he's been limping on his, and Jeff can't hardly get the stance on oh, him. Oh, the referee's been knocked out as Jeff ducked. Kurt Angle hit him. Oh, but Jeff, this is his shot. Can he get it? He's going to show the knee to the gun. Another knee to the gun. Here we comes- he go. Here's their stroke! He hits it! Jarrett oh, and hits the referee the is out! Yeah, but Nick Foley oh, just slid one, in. One! Two! Oh man! How about Nick Foley he didn't hesitate? He was gonna do the count! We not only see Jared not tap out to the ankle lock, we see... Oh, eight, oh my, my the god, long the long ball! ball. Just a dirty maneuver as Mick Foley was checking on the referee. He nails Jeff Jarrett with that low blow and look at Jeff. Angle walks out here, we're gonna try and, and keep our eyes on him. Angle picking up a steel chair from around ringside. Mick Foley says no way. You are not
7: using a
2: chair. You're not using a chair is what Mick Foley just said to Kurt Angle. Get back in the ring. Oh my God.
4: You should feel terrible.
2: Oh, no! <laughs> My a God. sick, a sick chair shot to Foley. Oh, he just crushes Jeff with the chair. First it's Foley, then it's Jarrett with the just brutal shots. And now Angle's going to try and drag a dazed Rudy Charles back. Here it is. One. to allow it to happen. Engel can't believe it. Foley back in, right in the face of the Olympic gold medalist. And Angle backs out. And fully just dropped him with a right. Look at this. Oh my God. He's pulled it out. Here comes this side. Here we go, angle down, count one, count two, count, got it. Here is the winner, the king of the mountain, Jeff Jarrett. What? Now oh, that's a special enforcer, and Jeff Jarrett, what a night. My God, what a special moment, ladies and gentlemen, that we've not only witnessed
4: him. Now that was a hell of an entertaining match.
9: It was. It was really entertaining, and Mick played a good role in it. I, I think we utilized Mick the right way. That was perfect.
4: It, it was. That was one of the better uh, TNA-booked matches that you and I have watched <laughs> together on this show. We, we have very few of those. i
0: was <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. We're going to commercial, but are you
2: Jeff Jarrett your ass
3: is mine next week. Mark my words, but right now I want to talk about some business that I've got to take care of. See, it's time to clean things up around here. Not only in terms of what's going on inside of the ring, but the very look of the company. If you get my drift, Mick We've been trying week after week after week to make something out of you. It's impossible. <laughs> so I've decided to take matters into my own hands. Foley, get your big ass down here. Put it in the chair. Let's clean you up once and
9: for all.
0: Incredible team. Wow, we had our research team reach out to Vince Russo, who was handling creative here and get ready for this. Vince Russo said, this was your idea. Quote, Eric knew that he was there to get the wrestlers over. There was never an ego with Eric as a talent. Never. I don't, we need to mark the day and time because it sounds as if Vince Russo is being complimentary of Eric Bischoff just looking around to make sure lightning doesn't strike us. What do you, uh, what do you make of him saying, Hey, this was, uh, this was Eric's idea and he never had an ego as a talent. I
3: don't remember this being my idea. It's possible and likely since it involved me. Right. And I wasn't subject to having to do anything that anybody else came up with not to sound like an arrogant prick, but that's just the way it was. Um, so I guess it's probably true. And I didn't have an ego when it came to getting talent over. That was my job and I was pretty good at it. It was never, I never had an ego about anything that I did in the ring. I mean, if you think about the stuff that I've done in the ring, I pretty much subjected myself to being humiliated, getting my ass kicked, being put in my place. Um, that's the job of a heel. That's what heels do is get baby faces over. If you're a good heel, the baby face you're working with is more over after your scene or your segment or your match than they are going into it. If you're good at what you do. And I was fucking awesome at what I did. Oh,
0: yeah. Okay. Just so the mandible oh, claws it work. He uh, he, blocked Mr. McFoley blocked you from uh, shaving his head. Throws the mandible claw on you, and now here comes the big shave. And Wade was pretty critical of this, and he says it's just astounding to see TNA burn through so many angles that historically, when milt draw money, get but get comparatively little from them because they just rush through them. Foley then woke up Bischoff and showed him his ridiculous haircut. Bischoff threw a fit which was good for a little laughter from the crowd. Bischoff tried to cover up Foley waddled out of the ring, gloating, holding up the mirror. You know, listen, I think that's a fair criticism. We've been talking about here that we're just, we're rushing through some stuff. And I just can't help, but wonder if maybe that's the reason that this sort of LOL TNA narrative has existed. Maybe we never really caught fire and got the momentum and all that. And it wasn't because
3: no, I disagree with that. That's that's narrative nonsense. Yeah. Look at the bully rate. Look at look at the Aces and Ain't storyline. So when, when you say things, not you, but the narrative, the general narrative, oh, the TNA never really spent any time telling stories. Go back and look at that story. I, I would agree with Wade here, though, by the way. I, I think that is a very fair critique of this particular segment. But to apply that to TNA, at least during my Time there overall i think is a little bit unfair look at that haircut
0: what did mrs b i mean you look like somebody started with manscaped and gave up halfway i look you fucking ridiculous
7: and oh, i love it
3: i love it she was high and then she, she was just like oh god i because it's not like the first time i've ever done it right right um it's like she just shake her head but the good news is my hair grew. grew it slowed down now. <laughs> Look at that. What a stupid. <laughs> trying to put my hair back on my yeah. head. That's funny. Um, my hair grew so fast that two weeks later, you couldn't tell anyway. So it didn't really matter.
0: What are you thinking of this show so far? We're coming back from a uh, commercial break here and we're showing the replay of the head shave just moments ago. And, yeah. You putting the hair back on is, is good comedy stuff, man.
4: We're going to talk specifically his days uh, as Cactus in WCW, but man, he really began making a name for himself in world-class and in the continental promotion in the late 80s. And uh, Cactus Jack, or should we say Cactus Jack Manson, you remember that, he made his debut for WCW on December 16th, 1989 on uh, the World Championship Wrestling Program And JR, if you could just share with everybody, our audience here, how you were aware or first made aware or introduced to Mick Foley Cactus Jack before this whole uh, WCW Dave. Dave
5: Well, Mick was a darling of the wrestling magazine, so he got a lot of coverage uh, to his credit. He made himself accessible in a fun interview. Uh, I saw most of Mick's early work uh, when I was living in Oklahoma, and they were on cable and out of Dallas world class. And so I, I, I made a point, I think it was on, I want to say Saturday night, 10 to midnight or something like that for a uh, central time zone. I, I might be wrong, but something along those lines. It was accessible to me and it worked, it fit into my schedule. So I tried to catch uh, that as often as I could because again we used a lot of those guys over the years from uh, Fritz's office and Fritz von Eric's office in world class. So uh that I was a, kind of a regular viewer of that product. And I uh, and was a fan of Mix work. I know that early on, when we first started working together, the one thing he wanted to do was to get rid of the, the Manson aspect of his name. He wasn't a big fan of the Cactus Jack Manson. He may have been when he first started. It may have seemed like it worked. Maybe the promoter liked it, whatever. Uh, but but he didn't like it, and so that's a little known fun fact: the Manson aspect of Mick's. Uh, TV persona was not something he embraced. And so we quit using it simple. We didn't have, have a meeting. We didn't have to have a, you know, a quarrel. The talent didn't like it. So it's, still, it's yeah. not going to make any difference. He's not over yet. Anyway, he's not clearly established. So if we're going to do it, now's the time to do it.
4: Yeah. That makes sense, and it completely makes sense why you wouldn't want that attached to, to him as he continues to move up the ranks. So uh, Mick has talked about how you and Jim Cornette really hyped him up to Ric Flair and Kevin Sullivan on his first night there at center stage. Uh, can, do you remember that? Do you remember any of this, that conversation or how you felt after you first saw him there and, and talking with Rick and Kevin?
5: Well, Nate and Sully were not as familiar with uh, Mick as Cornette and I. And, uh, of course, Cornette and I being wrestling junkies, couldn't get enough of the product. So consequently, uh, we were watching everything. And then when I lived in Atlanta, you know, I had the luxury, uh, the late Joe Petticino's wrestling block and, uh, they had, you know, four or five, six different shows on every Saturday night. I think it was channel 69 or something along those lines in, in, in uh, Atlanta. So I got to consume a lot of product there. Of course, I was in a position at the booking committee where we were looking for new talent, you, like I said here before wrestling fans like new. And so we were looking for new and, and we believe Cornette and I certainly believe that, uh, that cactus fit that bill.
4: Yeah, no, that's fun. Joe Petticino knows. I remember uh, Joe Petticino, so that's a fun name from the wrestling past. But Mick leaves a big impression here in his first appearance. It's he and Rick Fargo. They lose to the Steiners, and after the match, Cactus and Fargo would fight with each other, and Cactus leaves him laying with his signature running elbow from the apron to the floor. JR, we have a clip here I want to share with you in our first clip of the week. We have three of them. This is the first. Let's take a look uh, at Cactus here.
2: His tag team partner is from New Mexico. He weighs in at 234 pounds, Cactus Jack Menstein. Their opponents making their way into
7: the ring area. They are the current World Tag Team Champions. From the Motor
2: City of Detroit, Michigan, at 525 at 25 pounds, Rick and Scott Steiner. These are the Steiner Brothers. Uh-oh, here comes. The Steiners asking their little friends to come into the ring. World Tag Team Champions still up. Have won it. Let's keep our cameras right here for just a moment before we go to the slow mo. Oh, wait a minute. Fargo now. Fargo and Manson are fighting. Fargo and Manson are fighting here. I don't blame them a bit. What the boots do, Cactus Jack. Cactus Jack from Truth or Consequences, New Mexico. Look great against the Steiners, but well, what's he going to do here? He's got him outside. Backbreaker right on the floor. What's he doing? Oh, no, he's not. Right off the line. Good Lord! What is wrong with him? There's something <laughs> not right. Man, well, we got. We need some help for Rick Fargo jack manson i'd like to see that one again well, truth or consequences new mexico's uh, representative just did something breathtaking look at this kevin he jumps from the apron 12 feet in the air onto the cement floor with an elbow what i said before there's something definitely wrong with this cat we'll hear more from cactus jack fans but when
4: we come back
5: well feet in the air i measured it just
4: 12 feet no but man that doesn't feel good on the old hip no he didn't he didn't land on the the pad either he extended years of of
5: doing that didn't do make any favors quite frankly but it made him stand out he found something as simple as that it's not simple it's simple to execute yes but it's not simple to survive. Uh, so uh, you know, Flair bought into Mick. Seems uh, best I recall, Sullivan certainly did, and Cornette and I were big boosters. And so that's how Mick ended up uh, getting a job. Said you know we we thought he had something, and I I've been in that corner and of that sentiment for decades now.
4: And, and, and dude, this is exactly what he would always do. This was an early trait of, of Mick. He would leave his partner laying after the matches, but this was something unique and different to your point. It was new and, uh, it got him over with the audience to your point.
5: Yeah. Yeah. He, the thing about Mick as a writer, as a babyface, as a heel, uh, he always connected with his audience because him being a lifelong fan and having his quote unquote dream job was something that he really embraced. So his ability to connect with the audience was extraordinary. And that's one thing that I would suggest any wrestlers, and I know a lot of wrestlers listen to our podcast and we appreciate it. Uh, you gotta learn or you gotta acquire the skills of, uh, connecting, connecting with your audience, uh, in, in whatever role you may be in. And so Mick learned that at an early age. He just, he was so impressionable. He's smart. You know, mick has a college degree and his dad's it was a, was a teacher coming from an educated family so uh I'm, uh I'm 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 just thinking that mick was destined to do all these things but we all were kind of concerned that can we keep him healthy enough to get there
1: right
9: can you dig it, dig it dig sucker it, Sucker! hey all you wrestling fans out there it's two-time hall of Famer booker t and guess what The Hall of Fame podcast is now laying
10: down on Podcast Heat. Yeah, Book, make sure everybody checks out this week our interview with the Hall of Famer, one of the greatest of all time, Trish Stratus, and five minutes of fame with former NXT Women's Champion, Roxanne Perez. So tune in every Friday to the Hall of Fame podcast with Booker T
9: and Brad Gilmore right here on Podcast Heat. Now can you take that
0: sucker? So, coming out of lockdown, the main story is the battle for control of the company and the top spots with the main event mafia, of course, being led by Kurt Angle, Mick Foley, the new champion, you, the owner, and Sting, the champion who just lost the title. The focus is on you and Mick. Uh, were you excited to work with Mick at this point in his career?
1: So, yes, I was in so many ways. You know, me and Mick go back to the Texas days or actually the USWA days, but getting the opportunity to work with Mick. Per, obviously personally, but on a professional level, it was at this point, people knew that I was, you know, not just the founder, but creative and, and, and just the, the, my role in the company, but here comes Mick. And we got the opportunity to let me storyline and, and, and I thought it was logical and we had a lot of fun with it. And look, you can poke holes, everything's subjective, but, we, we had the story that me and Mick are supposed to be the 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 wise talent that never saw eye to eye on anything, but you got the main event mafia on one side and the young guns, just what the son reported about, that's making our story right. AJ, Joe, and Eric Young, and a bunch of young guys. So me and Mick, in reality and on t- camera, we were supposed to be doing this balancing act, trying to... Push the company forward, but at the end of the day, and Mick is so damn good at these type vignettes and stories all this. We kept getting each in each other's way, which pitted us against each other. And the ratings did very well. You could look at quarters on, on during this ep, during this time, and me and Mick's quarter would would be. And I'll give it to Mick; he's so damn good at 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 carrying out a story and making his own.
0: Is there anything he can't do well? I mean, like he, I thought he did a phenomenal job writing wrestling books. I've oh. seen him do a phenomenal job doing one man shows on stage at, at comedy clubs. I've seen him work as a heel. I've seen him work as a babyface. Uh, I've seen him work as a enhancement talent, as a top guy. Uh, I've seen him have incredible street fights and stories. And I've also seen the comedy. I mean, whether you're looking for good guy, bad guy, I just think Whatever it is, Foley's found a way to do it. Probably as good as anybody else. Conrad, did you see the anti-biography? I did. Okay.
1: To me, look at that set point, long Island. Yeah. Parents engaged in school, um, athletic teams. Uh, so in a lot of ways, it's the average American upbringing. And then the other ways. Mick has a gift uh, to me, uh God gave him a gift of an incredible brain, yeah that was not afraid, matter of fact, he kind of relished the role of I'm going to go against the grain on what my parents think I should do, what the audience think I should do, you know, and make it his own, yeah, uh, even down to raising funds for the greatest causes in the world, yes, so. You know, wow now mick really is coming at this at a different angle so yeah uh and to dial back to this era when he would take what was written out of creative vents and dutch and the whole team and then me and him would sit down and i just sort of see mick sit back in a chair like i've got now at orlando because at this time we had two or three sound stages and sets and everything and mick would start rocking kind of back and forth not like abyss but he'd sit there Conrad and he'd be thinking and he say, you know, Jeff, I've been thinking about this and in my mind, okay, let's get under the learning tree. Here we go. <laughs> you know, I mean, cause when you, you think about the, 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 this is your life rock, you know, the in rings yeah. at raw during the attitude era, you, 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 that doesn't come from a piece of paper. No rock and Mick made that stuff their own Yes, it uh, no disrespect to any writer, Ed or Ferrara or Vince or anybody put it together. But no, Mick has that unique ability to okay. Th- this when when we went out to the fairgrounds in, in this episode, he made that. he's just he's just damn good. I'll just say that. Damn good.
4: Okay. Was Mick in any condition to wrestle here?
9: Uh, you know what? I will tell you this. Before the match, he said, listen, you gotta take it easy on me. Don't be as intense <laughs> as you usually are. And uh, you know, I I I understood. I mean, Mick probably didn't wrestle for a long time when he came down to TNA, and he came to the company. Um, he wasn't wrestling much at all. So um, I knew that his conditioning was not good. Uh, he was more worried about blowing up and getting tired than anything else than actually getting injured. And uh, I understood that. So I tried not to be as intense in that match. And it wasn't that long anyway. I knew that we didn't have to go that long, but, um, you know, Mick put it this way. He's had better days and, you know, that's, that's where I'm going to leave it.
4: <laughs> hey, thank God you didn't treat him like you treated Eugene. in summer <laughs> right, 2005. Right. Wow. Uh,
9: Definitely not. Yeah. You're not going to treat Mick fully that way. No
4: way. <laughs> I mean, my God. So, uh, how hard is it though, to drag, and I'm not saying, you know, Mick on this night, but to wrestle and carry someone to a TV match when they're just not able to perform like they would want to. You're really yeah, doing all the it's work. Not, dude. It's
9: not easy. It's not easy. But Mick, Mick was experienced. You know, Mick Mick took certain bumps and he did what he had to do. Um, he took a couple of dangerous bumps too. And, but that's Mick Foley. You know, he's always going to take a dangerous dump, bump or two. Uh, but um, You
4: almost said a dangerous dump.
9: <laughs> a dump bump. <laughs> no, but a bump. I got you. His dumps <laughs> you have to be what, pretty uh, dangerous too. They, they put it this way. I would take Mick any day in the ring, whether he was in good condition or not. Uh, Mick's an experienced worker. And, you know, one thing I know is by the end of the match, he's going to take some kind of dangerous bump and then he's going to (laughs) lose. That's what he
10: always does. But we'll all love him for it.
4: You know what I mean? He's just going to become a bigger
10: star. Podcast Heat is teaming up with 14-time women's world champion Charlotte Flair. To help raise money for Smile Train and you have the chance to participate and win a personalized autographed photo and a 15-minute private video chat with the queen herself by being the highest donor. With your donation, Smile Train can provide life-saving surgeries and other essential cleft care to children in need 100% free. A donation of $21, less than your weekly Starbucks, can provide one cleft repair surgery. Without treatment, children with clefts may struggle to breathe properly, often becoming severely malnourished due to trouble eating, and many face long-term psychological trauma as a result of relentless bullying. No child deserves to feel like an outcast. Join Smile Train Global Ambassador Charlotte Flair in becoming a champion of smiles. Your donation will provide the gift of cleft treatment. Donate today at smiletrain.org Charlotte. And remember, the highest donor will receive a personalized autographed photo and a 15-minute private video chat with Charlotte. Together, we can change the world one smile at a time.
0: Foley tells Molina backstage that he'd rather quit than get someone fired, but Molina says she'll take one for the team. Let's keep it going. Uh, Was the Foley-Molina relationship really based around the internet and never really fleshed out too heavily on television? Is that something that Vince took a liking to? Because they were always polite with each other in this era, and and obviously Vince, uh, not Vince, but Mick, has always been a fan of of women in wrestling and, and putting over what they do and blah, blah, blah but it felt like that one never really translated on screen as much. Do you think there was more that maybe had more legs? I think it, it possibly could have, but you know, I,
8: I, I yeah, I have no, could idea. you have what? seen
0: him in like a Lou Albano capacity, like managing women of sorts? Like, you know, I'm sure he'd probably women. like to do that. Well, it just feels like that's, you know, he's the cheerleader for a lot of the, okay, let's keep going. Foley tells Molina backstage that he'd rather quit than get someone fired, but Molina says she'll take one for the team. Let's keep it going. Uh, Was the Foley-Molina relationship really based around the internet and never really fleshed out too heavily on television? Is that something that Vince took a liking to? Because they were always polite with each other in this era, and and obviously Vince, uh, not Vince, but Mick, has always been a fan of of women in wrestling and, and putting over what they do and blah, blah, blah but it felt like that one never really translated on screen as much. Do you think there was more that maybe had more legs? I think it, it possibly could have, but you know, I, I,
8: yeah, I have no, could idea you have seen
0: it. him in like a Lou Albano capacity, like managing women of sorts? Like, you know, I'm sure he'd being, probably
8: like to do that.
0: Well, it just feels like that's, you know, he's the cheerleader for a lot of the, okay, let's keep going. Uh, Flair beats uh, Orton by reverse decision. Uh, it's a uh, disqualification after Orton pins him with the RKO, but then continued to beat the shit out of him. Um, I guess you got to have a way to uh, quote unquote, get your heat back after you have the Hogan match the night before, huh?
8: Absolutely. And a good way to do it is beat another legend.
0: The main event is uh. the kiss my ass club segment where Molina ends up turning on Foley after Foley kisses Vince's ass to save her job and this is the last time we'll see Mick on WWE TV until March of oh seven. Do you remember why Mick was uh heading home here? Um Mick, you know, Mick uh
8: in his retirements I always would say, you know, the first retirement is I don't want to be Terry Funk. No one wanna retire, you know, a hundred times, so I guess he went for a hundred and nine. Uh you know, Mick's Mick.
0: Hey. Do you think his, his injuries made, like, the travel schedule too brutal at times? Or was it just the the WWE machine at the time where he felt like, oh, this is a pressure cooker? I don't know. What, what's your read on that? I think that um, that Mick is going to do what Mick needs to do at the
8: time at any time in his career.
0: Got it. So from a uh, a creative standpoint – Are you a fan of the Kiss My Ass Club? I mean, Vince is obviously one of, if not the greatest heel in the history of WWE television. So I kind of like that aspect, but I could see how, boy, from the outside, if you were a non-wrestling fan, you'd think, yeesh.
8: Yeah, but also you you think of in any any field that there are those people that are accused of that and actually physically see it. See it actually be done. And the...
0: You mean the hypothetical, oh, this guy's kissing. Yeah, that guy's guy. kissing. Us. No, Let's man. Let's have the literal representation. This is the
8: literal representation of the, evil, of the evil owner who enjoys people kissing his ass. But not just metaphorically. It's like he will go as far as to humiliate them and actually make them do the act.
0: How much of the HBO show Succession do you think is based on some of the character Mr. <laughs> McMahon? Not the real life Vince, but the character. Oh God, it's got to be right. It's a great deal, yes. I mean that scene where he's, oh, he's getting on all, all fours. Yes, and it's like, the dude, fireplace, this, Yes. this is WWE shit right here. Yeah, about four Hall of Famers in there right now for sure: Vader, Kane, Mankind, and uh, Layfield. It's fun to go back and look at this because you sort of forget how loaded the roster was.
3: It really was, and th- these are all names right now. Obviously, they're no longer with us, but these are all names right now that would, you know, would would be a top headliner at Starcast or any WWE Access event or or any other you know independent type of event anywhere in the world right now today. And we've got a mayor.
0: Hey, and thanks for the cheap plug. Uh, the former mankind, Mister Mick Foley, will indeed be at Starcast in Chicago. So, looking forward to having him. And I think we've got an announcement coming out later this week about that appearance. So that should be fun. Wow, I'm excited. I'm clairvoyant. I know. I think people probably assume that I like slid you a note right there, but you just gave me a no. I feel like I didn't even know. <laughs>
3: I didn't even know, but it's true, and it's it's exciting. And I, by the way, I think Mick Foley's one of the coolest dudes in the industry right now. He does so much for and He, I swear, you, he must live on the road still. Every time I hear something from him or about him, he's doing an event somewhere in the world. He just and probably loved, doing
0: it for charity.
3: He, yeah, he does a lot of them for charity and for causes. He he loves people. He loves the opportunity to use the the fame, I guess that that you know he's built up and the relationship he's built up with wrestling fans over the years. You know, for good causes. He's. I just think he's one of the best people in the industry.
0: Tony Chimmel, going to do the ring announcing. Referee Tim White. Any good memories about uh, your time in the WWF with Chimmel or or Tim White or Paul Bear or any of those guys?
3: Yeah, I never met Paul Bear. Um, Chimmel, I, I you know probably crossed paths with a little bit. Very social guy. You know, personable guy. Tim White, I spent a fair amount of time with. What a, what a. I'm only hesitating because, you know, referring to someone as a sweet man can sometimes, you know, people don't know what do you mean by that. But what a genuinely down-to-earth sweet guy. He, you know, when I first got the WWE, he was probably one of the ones at first that was the most uh, outwardly welcoming to me. I mean, there were, everybody was, you know, kind of professionally welcoming and did all the right things, said all the right things. But then there are certain people that just make you feel like they're actually glad you're there. And Tim White, in his own way, did that. And you know, I immediately, you know, hung out with him. Not, not, not after the shows or anything like that. We didn't drink beers together or anything. But you know, when there was free time backstage, you know, when I had just you know hours between shots or something and didn't have anything to do, but I was backstage, I would sit and talk. To, to Tim, and he would tell me stories about traveling with Andre, and, you know, just tell me stories about his time, and it just, yeah you know, I, I can't wait to, uh, can't wait to cross paths with him again. You know, he, he used to tell me about the bar he owned all the time, and I swore I was always going to go up and visit him <clears throat> at some point, and now maybe I'll be able to do that, because I'll be more or less in his backyard.
0: Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson here to tell you a little more about what adfreeshows.com is all about. Get early, ad free access to more than a dozen of your favorite wrestling podcasts every single week, starting at just nine bucks. That's less than 20 cents an episode each month. And yes, you can listen to them all directly through Apple Podcasts or your regular podcast apps. How easy is that? Ad Free Shows also has thousands of hours worth of bonus content and docu-series like Title Chase, Eric Fires Back, Conversations with Conrad, and The Insiders, plus new series like The Book with David Crockett, Monday Mailbags with Mike Kyoto and Nick Patrick, and a whole lot more. And you want to talk about early? You can't get any earlier than listening to the shows live. You can be a part of the live studio audience as we record the podcast. Plus ride shotgun alongside your favorite childhood heroes for live watch-alongs, Q and A's, and other interactive experiences every single month. Come on now, see for yourself what thousands of other wrestling fans from around the world have discovered that AdFreeShows.com is the best value in wrestling. Check it out today, and hey, when you do, the first week is completely free. AdFreeShows.com.